just listen to this one very simple verse, uh, Philippians chapter 1 and it's verse 21, and we're going to pray as we turn there tonight. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your presence among us. We ask for, again, that anointing that does destroy the yoke. Lord, to be upon your word and upon everyone that would hear your word tonight, we pray that you would open the eyes of the blind, that you would open the ears of the deaf. Lord, that you would speak with that voice that wakes the dead. Lord, we pray for your people tonight. Lord, we pray for those in the gathering with a desire to live and to serve you. Lord, that you would challenge them afresh. Lord, there would be a step of faith in hearts tonight to lay all on the altar, to live for you in these final moments of time. And so, Lord, shut us in with yourself. Lord, speak to us tonight. But above everything our desire, Lord, is that your name would be lifted up and that you would be glorified in this house. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said it. Amen. Just one verse. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. These are the words of Paul the Apostle. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want to read this verse just a couple of times more. Uh, This is the verse that the Lord just put on my heart for this meeting tonight. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. I want to take just the first part and focus on the first part of this verse tonight with these words again. For to me, to live is Christ. Aspirations is the hope or the ambition to be something. I'm sure many of you can remember, some might have to think back a wee bit longer, many years ago, having to go and see your careers officer, your careers advisor, and maybe for some in the meeting, it's been recent days, and I don't know what it's like today, but certainly 30 years ago, when I was asked to go and see my careers officer and sit down in a wee chair in a room, and she looked at me and she would look through uh, my achievements and what I had done and what I hadn't done, and she'd ask the question, what do you want to be? And so she would flick through your CV, as it were, at that time. There wasn't much in it. There's still not much in it. And begin to look through what hobbies you had, what interests you had, your current intellectual achievements. And at the end of it, say, well, what's your goal? What's your ambition? What do you want to be when you leave school? And as you're sitting there with these questions about life, I don't know about you, but I had no idea. I had no idea. Potential. Potential is the capacity simply to become something in life. And it's something that everybody has. It's potential. Particularly young people, you have something It's called potential. To become something in your life or to make something of your life. I know today that most of the role models and examples today 
are often found in the world of sport or music. That's the two big things that people will look at, particularly young people. It's in the world of sport and it's in the world of music that people will often set their goals of what they want to be in life. The achievements are acknowledged and praised. We've sung some of these songs tonight. I'm so thankful that the Lord's just leading the the songs and the way they've been led. But we look at these great and notable individuals in the world's terms. They're recognized. Their their posters are up. They're they're in all the magazines. They're they're talked about in school and around the streets. and, And then, if it's like some of our boys, when they see some of these sports stars or footballers, when you look at our front window, they're trying to do what they do on the pitch. And not very well. <laughs> but sometimes they're good. And then they come in, I hear them talking about a particular, I, I'm just, the young, this might be lost in the older ones, stay with me. They talk about a particular young fella that burst onto the scene, a French boy, just about the age of 18, he burst onto the scene in the in the World Cup in 2018. Anybody know his name? Killian Mbappa, I think his name is. And I hear the boys talking about him. This young fella, he's only 18, the second youngest uh, outside of Pelly, I think, to score in the World Cup. And so everyone's looking at this young fella. He's burst onto the world stage. It's, it's like he has the world at his feet. He's reached the top of his game. He's no doubt naturally gifted. He has great skill. And he's applied himself to that. The sports and fitness and discipline. And being coached and brought through. And suddenly on the World Cup. The greatest stage in the world. This young fella bursts onto the scene. With excitement full of energy and youth. And and courage and ambition. With no fear. And he bursts onto the scene. And he scores a goal in the World Cup. And everyone's talking about him. And so we become fixated often with their life. With their lifestyle. With the prestige. With their haircuts. Everyone starts to get the same haircut. And the fast cars. The attractions. And everything's handed to them. All the wealth and the riches of this world. And yet... Listen very carefully. When it's all said and done, and when the life has been lived often to the fullest, in the end, everything of what they have achieved and everything of what they have accomplished has no eternal value. Think of one of our own, if you like, born in the craziest state with humble beginnings. No doubt that many would suggest that he was the best footballer that this world has ever seen, Geordie Best. But yet in the end, it was the tragedy of a life. Thank God that he made a decision through a wee nurse just a couple of weeks before his death. But a life lived to the full in worldly terms, achieving the praises of men, the poster boy for the for everyone around, but yet in the end, everything of what he achieved, when it came to it, was nothing. It had no eternal value. When Paul writes these words, 
They're profound. He writes under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, but it's a personal testimony. He said, for me, for me, for me to live everything of my life, everything of what I desire, everything of what I do, for me to live as Christ. What a statement. I've meditated most of the week on this statement. I keep saying to Nikki, what a statement that a man would make for me to live. There is no room for anything else but for me to live is simply Christ. You have to go back to Acts chapter 9 to grasp the reality and the revelation and the change that took place in this man's life on the road to Damascus without Christ, without hope, going to a lost eternity. But on that road as he's walking, filled with rage and bitterness and anger, as he's walking along that road, what challenged that man and stopped that man in his track was a revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. His life was dramatically wonderfully transformed by the power and the miraculous work of Jesus Christ. And because the radical change and the revelation of Jesus so changed the life of Saul of Tarsus, Paul the Apostle, so challenged him, so changed him, so radical was his conversion that the rest of his days, everything else seemed like nothing in comparison to the wonder and the beauty of Jesus Christ. As we all know, these great stars rise and they fall. But what shall it profit a man? The Bible says if he should gain the whole world, what would it profit you? If you gain everything, you gain man's praises, you gain the riches of this life, you gain fame and fortune. You get your lottery up. You get your money. You get your house. You get everything that you've desired. What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And yet he would lose his own precious soul. I don't know whether, I'm sure some of you have heard, we've talked throughout the week about it. Some of you will be less familiar than the great footballers and singers. With this young man called John Chai. Anyone heard about him in the last couple of weeks? I followed the, the news story and the, and the writings and the reports concerning this man. Born on the 18th of December 1991. Died on the 17th of November 2018. A young American man killed by the tribes people on the North Sentinel Island. From high school, he had an ambition. Know what his ambition was? He heard about an unreached tribe on these islands that had never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as a young man in secondary school, he began to pray. And he began to pray for these people that have never been reached with the gospel. He was fixed on being a missionary. He had from an early age heard about the unreached tribes and this particular tribe on this island. It's illegal to travel there. It's remote. It's primitive. 
in the Bay of Bengal. But it became John's goal in life to reach them with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In recent weeks, as he began to make his preparation to approach the island, in his diary, he simply said, you guys might think I'm crazy and all this, but I think it's worse to declare Jesus to these people. On his first attempt, when he arrived on the island, Someone fired an arrow that went through his Bible. He went back again and declared as he arrived on the island, My name is John. I love you. And Jesus loves you. And presented them with some fish. Before he went on his last visit, he said, Please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, Please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to. And I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand. And I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshiping him in their own language. And his last visit on arrival, he was martyred for the Lord Jesus Christ, just a couple of weeks ago. The church father said these words, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, and to die is great gain. It was the William Carey, the father of modern missionaries, said these words, expect great things from God. And attempt great things for God. Another sportsman that was at the top of his game was a man called Charles Thomas Studd, a famous cricketer who went on to be a missionary to China, Africa, and India. He was the youngest of the Studd brothers, were known for their cricket skills at Eton and Cambridge. Charles played in the first test match between England and Australia where the ashes were named. But one day, one day, he met Jesus Christ. He was converted. Of the moment that he met God, he said, right then under joy, peace came into my soul. I knew then what it was to be born again. And the Bible, which had been so dry to me, became everything. When he decided to pursue and to give up sport and to pursue a career as a missionary, he says, I know that cricket would not last and honor would not last and nothing in this world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world that's to come. In one of his last letters home, C.T. Studd said, I believe I am now nearing my departure from this world. I have but few things to rejoice in. They are these, that God called me to China, and I went in spite of utmost opposition from all my loved ones, that I joyfully acted as Christ told that rich young man to act, just as he's about to go as a young man a rich man, a wealthy man. He had given most of his money away, give up the cricket, but he kept a nest egg just in case it didn't work out. 
It was his wife, I think, that said to him in the end, if we're going to do this, it's going to be all for Jesus. And I think it was his last £2,000. He gave it all away. Number three, he said in that letter, that I deliberately, at the call of God, went alone on the Bibli liner, 1910, gave up my life for this work, which was to be henceforth not for the Sudan only, but for the whole unevangelized world. My only joys, therefore, are that when God has given me a work to do, I have not refused it. What a day it was for C.T. Studd when he passed through the veil and met the Savior face to face. Paul writes these words, For me to live is Christ. What a statement and what a life. First of all, I want you to note it's personal because this came out of a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. For me, his personal experience, his personal encounter on the road to Damascus was the key to the life of Paul the Apostle. It wasn't something that he learned from someone else. It wasn't something that he was taught in school or Bible school. It was a personal encounter with Jesus Christ that transformed his life that nothing in this world could satisfy but serving Jesus. For him to live, you remember when he said, I count everything else but dung. That's what he called it. He called everything else dung. It wasn't that he gave things up. It's simply that Jesus was more than anything else to him than everything else. I count it all but dung that I might know him, that I might have this Christ. He was infatuated with Jesus. The Bible says in him we live and move and we have our being. Christ was his everything. This is not by the persuasion of men. This is not by the smart words of a man. But this happens through an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. When men and women meet him, when Jesus reveals himself to them, when they have an encounter with the risen Christ truly in their hearts, everything in this world seems like nothing in comparison to Jesus. I listened to a testimony just a couple of days ago. It was sent through. And it was about in the last great awakening back in the part of the early part of the last century, the Welsh revival. Now to that great revival, there was a great wave that took place across the world of missionaries being sent out across the world to evangelize the world on the back of that great revival. May God give us another revival that sends out men and women across the world. And that revival awakened in the hearts of the church to reach the lost at any cost. Men went out, men burnt their bridges, women gave up everything to go out and to serve Jesus Christ. And so in that great wave across the world, many missionaries went over in to India, right up into the north of India, where there was a particular tribe there that was called the Headhunters. The reason why they were called the Headhunters is self-explanatory. And so missionaries arrived in amongst this tribe, this brutal tribe that would decapitate anyone who would come near them. 
They would cannibalize them. It was a wicked, dark tribe. And a missionary arrived, unknown to us. A missionary arrived with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thank God, there was one family in that tribe. A man, a woman, and their two sons that were converted to the Lord Jesus Christ and were wonderfully saved. That impact in that tribe was profound. These people so met the Lord. Their lives were so dramatically changed. They were so powerfully converted that they began to evangelize. The first thing that happens when you're saved is that you'll want to tell others. They want to tell others about this great work of salvation. And so uh, they began to tell amongst their tribe of what the Lord had done in their lives. And others started to get saved through this simple family and not a tribe of the headhunters, but the chief heard not so long after that about what was happening amongst the tribe, summons the family, that the family would come, and all the tribal leaders and the chief sat and brought this family before them. And so in that moment, the chief said to the dad, I want you to renounce this Jesus Christ. Renounce Jesus Christ. Under serious consequences. And as the man stood there, the chief said, I want you to renounce Jesus Christ. If you will not renounce Jesus Christ, the first thing we're going to do, we'll execute your two sons. Right at that moment, the man looked at his sons and looked the chief in the eye. And he said these words from the song that we often sing. He said, I have decided... To follow Jesus. And there's no turning back. At that moment. The order was given by the chief. To execute his two boys. And as the mom and dad stood and watched on before their eyes. Their two sons were executed before them. And as they lay on the ground before them. The chief looked at the man and said. Okay. Renounce Jesus Christ. As your Lord and Savior. The man looked at his sons. And looked at his wife. In the eyes. And looked at the chief. And the chief said. If you do not renounce Jesus. Not only have we killed your sons. But we now. Will execute your wife. And the man turned. To the chief. And these are the words that he said. Though none go with me. Yet I will follow. At that moment, the chief gave the order. And at that moment, that wife that was standing beside him was executed, lay on the floor with his two sons. The chief looked at the man in the eye and said, I give you one more opportunity. Renounce Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The man looked at the chief, looked at his wife and his two sons lying on the floor. And these are his last words. The cross before me, the world behind me, there's no turning back. At that moment, the chief gave the order and they executed that man. As the man and his wife and his two sons lay on the floor dead, Suddenly at that moment, by the power of the Holy Ghost, that chief 
His heart was awakened to the reality that the God that they were faithful to must be the one and the true and the living God. And at that moment, that chief with these four people lying at his feet dead was wonderfully converted to the Lord Jesus Christ and was born again. And God swept through that whole tribe. For me to live, Paul said, is Christ. We must know that life is short. We must know that this temporary life will soon be past. We must know that there is another life beyond this one. We must know that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. We must know that at any moment we could pass from this scene of time into eternity, either to be with Christ, which is gain, or to be without Christ, which is hell. Sacrifice nearly has become lost in a world that's filled with materialism. But to give our lives for the life to come. What an honor and what a privilege. Paul's encounter with Christ was so radical that everything else seemed like nothing. He sacrificed this life for the one that is to come. That's why he said, to die is gain. Because he'd be with Christ. In this world that we're living in, with everything that's pushed and all the agendas of this world and all the pressing and all the pressures and everything that comes upon us to conform to this world, to be channeled towards all of what this world says is the great, the good and the noble to what all this world would appraise and lift up. Paul the Apostle simply said, I count all these things but dung that I might have Christ. I want to challenge you, friend, tonight in this room. Challenge those that are not saved. Challenge those that are saved. Challenge the young. Challenge the old. We really don't have much more time. If the Lord tarries and if His coming is delayed and we have another generation or maybe beyond it, could I still say the same thing? We don't have much time. Our life is but a vapor of air. We appear for a time and then we are gone. Life is short and it seems to be that life is getting faster. It seems that the days are shortened. It seems that we are rapidly coming to the end of it all. And only what is done for Jesus, it will last. Can you say with the words of Paul, for me to live, it's Jesus. Nothing else matters. Nothing else concerns me. Nothing else grabs me. Nothing else fascinates me. Nothing else but just this Christ. Friends, with all the attractions of the world, and all 
all that what man would do and all but the powers of hell would try to get our attention on all other things. It is so true to say tonight, now none but Christ can satisfy. He is our everything. For me to live is Christ. Oh, for another wave of Holy Ghost power to awaken us all to the great need of our day for men simply and women to live a life that over the top of our heads can be written. For them to live is simply Jesus. What a statement. And what a truth. As we come to the very end of this service tonight, and the challenge is simple. Is that your desire? May not be that everything's worked out. May not be that you know how it's all going to end. May not be that you know what you're going to do in life. But your life, you want to give that life to Jesus and say, for me to live, whatever it is, wherever it is, and whatever it is, Lord, for me to live, it will be Jesus. Just give me this Jesus. I wonder, is that the cry and the prayer of every one of us in this room? Wherever it may be, whatever we, what we may do, whether it be here, whether it be foreign, whether it be in our workplace, wherever it is, but simply that our prayer is, for me, whatever else you give me in this life, whatever how many more days that I have, how many breaths that you've given me, but for me to live, it's going to be Jesus. Well, you can reach the very heights of this world, become the best in any given field. But friend, listen, what shall it profit a man if he gains the world? He lost his soul. It all begins with an encounter and a revelation of Jesus Christ. Your desire tonight in your heart to serve Jesus. I've decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Though none go with me. That's a hard one. Your friends may not want to do it. The people around you may not want to do it. It may not be cool to do it. Listen. Though none go with me. Still I will follow. The cross before me. And this world is behind me. There's no turning back. There's no turning back. Let's pray together tonight.